This is Coda Radio, episode 491 for November 7th, 2022. Hey, good buddy. Welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris and joining us every single week, hopefully fully caffeinated. It's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Damn skippy, Chris. I'm a pot of coffee in and I have a steaming cup of hot matcha right next to me. In. Yes. In. Because I'm, you know, I'm no pleb. In a mad butter cup. Ah, very good. A mad butter coffee cup. Yep. You know, I'm still loving that Coda robe. Mm. Still loving it. Just rocking it the other day. It's all I wear when the mailman comes. You know, I, I really genuinely had the thought the other day, like, why don't I just wear this all the time and nothing but this when I'm just going to be home all day? It doesn't happen very often. But my God, the two things together are so glorious. So, so glorious. We are gathered here today, mostly, I think, to hear about your two-factor nightmare. And Ugh. looks like you went deep into Swift again. So that's going to be, I think, the bulk of the show today. However, since we gathered together last week, there has been a tremendous amount of news. So we're going to do a little hangover watch for the economy. Pour yourself a cup of coffee. Yeah. So we found a new site that I wanted to tell you about that is shocking. It's called layoffs.fyi. And it's currently tracking 755 startups with over 104,000 layoffs in 22 so far. And, uh, of course, you can jump around. You can look at the charts. They've got, they're doing some really interesting ways of tracking it and showing different waves of, uh, of different, I guess, phases of layoffs since COVID-19 really hit. And the list is, it's kind of depressing to see, honestly. But the news has been unbelievable. Today, before we started recording, Apple announced an update on the supply of iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Pro Max. I haven't seen one of these updates since about 2008 or 9. Mm. They say that uh, they say due to COVID-19 restrictions in China and uh, the concern about the health of their workers, they are going to miss the supply and that they will have more shipments than previously anticipated that will experience longer wait times as they will be producing fewer iPhones. And uh, we've seen rumors about less iPhone demand. Yep. And I had speculated that that would be an early recession indicator is all of a sudden a thousand dollar phone looks a little ridiculous when times are good and the money's flowing. You can, you can buy a $1,100 phone, but when the price of gas is going up on a monthly basis and the price of food's still going up, $1,100 phones kind of silly sometimes. And I think Apple's feeling they're blaming COVID-19, but they've also been moving more and more manufacturing to India and Taiwan and other places. So I don't know. This, that's, uh, but I think that's a big indicator there. Also, today's the day that Elon set the deadline for Twitter Blue, and it seems to have worked, remember? He said they have until like the 7th or they're fired. Yeah, well, they're fired. And they're rolling out the Twitter Blue. They're rolling out the new membership stuff. I think they, although, yeah, a lot of them are fired. You know, I've been thinking about this too. Imagine what we're going to see here after if Elon pulls this off even somewhat. And if the if the metric is going by ruthless CEO standards in the market, not going by human standards, if the metric is profitability, he might do it. I mean, if he gets thousands of people to pay eight bucks a month and he lays off 60 percent of the staff. He might get it. And if he has verified accounts, advertisers are going to eat that up. I mean, right now you're seeing advertisers pause. But once they know that that's a genuine human who's been verified and that they know exactly what kind of things they like, that in terms of an ad buy, a person who is a knowable, verifiable person is worth substantially more than an anonymous number. Right. Than, than, a, than an impression on a page or a CPM or anything like that. Sure. So what if we're seeing an extreme recession model be created here? You'll see other tech companies essentially go on sale. They'll have some CEO that buys them out ruthlessly comes in, fires half the staff, brings in their own people, basically carves it down to an MVP, takes it private, does all of this work, because you wouldn't do it when it's a public company, does all this carving. It's kind of the Romney strategy of, of past. The, you know, the bank capital strategy, only it's for tech companies now. And it's by tech CEOs. And I think if he pulls it off, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, 
if he pulls this off, I think it's going to be looked at as a model for the next two years because we're going into a multi-year recession. And there's going to be a lot of businesses on sale. And I think this is going to be the play. Is The idea is you go in, you clean up, and then you turn it around. And by the time the market's picking back up in 2024, 2025, you bring it public again, you make a bunch of money. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Twitter itself, I mean, that could be a model that generally works. I still feel kind of going along with what I said last week, that Twitter itself has some unique problems. One, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this. I know I'm much more active on Twitter than you generally are. Uh, my Twitter feed is basically worthless now. And I used to get a lot of good like tech news, dev news, follow a bunch of like open source people or people at like Microsoft, stuff like that. Because it's everybody just being mad about Elon. Yeah. And I, I understand that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just strange, right? The things I've been saying are the Magic the Gathering 30, uh, 30th anniversary event and Elon hate. So I, I feel like he's somehow got to get a, a handle on this. Now, the, it, of course, the Internet's attention span is, is like that of my dogs. So maybe, you know, maybe he just needs to ride it out for another week. Yeah. I mean, I think inevitably, uh, once we get past all this, right? And I think this, I don't really want to go on about Twitter, but yeah. I think inevitably people just, they freak out. They have an absolute panic attack. And then in six months, they pretend like it never happened. That's our current state of the world right now. Right. I mean, it, it, as far as like the way I like to use Twitter, other than like trolling uh, and like memes or whatever, I, I still feel like Google Plus was a much better like techie social network where I got more valuable data than I ever did with Twitter, right? Like I had different circles for, well, for a perfect example. So like Google Plus, I had like an iOS dev circle I was in and I had your, whatever the JB one was, right? There was like, I don't know if it was official by you or what. Yeah, yeah. Yep, we had a, we had our own JB circle. You could have like the, hey, I have this problem with like UI table view conversation and avoid getting the, you know, sometimes friendly, sometimes less than friendly trolling from the Linux folks, right? Uh, and then you could have the Linux conversation about, you know, whatever open source. I think at the time I was like trying to help out with Geary or something like that. It was better, right? Than just like scream. I feel like Twitter in a lot of ways is, you know, going to the Empire State Building and just shouting uh, at the top of your lungs. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm just retroactively assigning more value to Google Plus than there really was. But I, I felt like I had more serious, deeper conversations that actually produced, uh, you know, mutual value, right? Oh, absolutely. Mastodon is seeing a big boom right now. So some people are moving over there. I want to keep going on the uh, hangover watch, though. Apple also warned investors they predict a substantial drop in Mac revenue for the holiday quarter. Tim Cook made it clear during the earnings call with investors that the company is subject to impacts of the macro economy, mm -hmm. which has been affected by the war in Eastern Europe and as a consequence of the pandemic. In other words, the supply chain and inflation is going to cost them. Well, and they sold a ton of MacBook Airs, right? The MacBook Air, I see, I know our audience, we're all like MacBook Pros, you know, or the Linux folks, whatever. They sold a lot of those. And those buyers are your average Joe and Jane. They're buying maybe every three years. So, and there was huge pent up demand. I, I worry that if the iPhone is being paused in production and they're predicting a, quote, substantial drop in Mac revenue, which Apple is usually very accurate about these things, um, I think we're going to see dark Apple. I think we really are. You know, there is also, since we got together, uh, developers have discovered that recent changes made to the App Store ads sort of raised some serious privacy concerns. It seems that the App Store app an iOS 14.6 and up is sending every tap you make inside the app everywhere to Apple. Wee oui, wee. Oui. That could be exploited. There's some uncertainty. Is that if you have analytics on or not, right? Or is it by default? I wonder, though. You combine this with the recent gambling ad stuff. And mm, that's bad. Of course, you know, they, they, they just knocked the knees out from Meta for app tracking and a bunch of other advertising platforms. And they've only been turning it up on their own platform. And it's, this, I think, is pretty alarming because if their hardware sales are going to go down, then they're just going to have to push even harder on services. And they just raised the rate of Apple One. They're all in subscription package. Mm -hmm. The level of details in the video that they show here is striking. Gruber says Apple ads are going wild. Even Gruber's not on board. Jason Snell, also 
very concerned. Like longtime Apple commentators feel like we're starting to see dark Apple develop here. And I, I just got to imagine a recession with hardware sales is just going to make the situation even worse. I think Apple is becoming more and more of a threat factor. It sucks because the M1 hardware, the M2 stuff, I'm sure is going to be great. Like the M series is fantastic. But Apple as a company, I think it's not good. We mentioned the Twitter layoffs. Jack Dorsey came out playing cover for Elon Musk. Said it's his fault. They hired too many people. Facebook has announced they are planning, quote, large scale layoffs this week. Stripe is cutting its headcount by 14%. Ready's for, quote, leaner times. Lyft to lay off 700 employees in a second round of job cuts. And, and, and Lyft, this is, Lyft has been having a, a, just a bear of a time for, for a couple of years. Amazon executives confirm a hiring freeze. Additionally, the uh, scuttlebutt in my local town is they have a ginormous Amazon facility by the studio that's going to bring 2,000 trucks a day into my area. And it was it was about 95% finished and Amazon hit the pause button. And uh, they're not going to finish it until proceeds go up because they don't know if there's enough demand for another warehouse in this area. So they're just going to leave it at 90% finished. They're going to have to keep security on it. They're going to have to keep the lights on. And there's a lot of homeless around here. So if they're not constantly guarding it, it's going to turn into a ginormous homeless encampment. Oh, my God. It's really going to be something. And it's wild because it's just this huge building that blocked my view of the mountains and just totally took over the skyline. And uh, there's hit and pause. I mean, we've been saying it for months now, right? The, uh, I know. It's going to be an icy winter. It's... So why do we talk about it? We talk about it not because we want to watch like the economic porn. We're not talking about it because we want to scare you. We're talking about it because... These macro trends are going to impact developers. They're going to impact client jobs. They're going to impact employment. They're going to impact your negotiation abilities. There's a real world impact that's going to hit the development community. And they're going to be hit hardest because this is specifically going after tech. Investors are pivoting from growth stocks to value stocks. They're literally transferring money out of tech stocks. Like another trillion dollars in tech Mm -hmm. stocks was drained last year or last week, last week. And they're putting it into other places, assets and other stocks that are like value stocks and things like that. And the tech companies are getting hit the hardest because the tech companies were the biggest recipients of the easy money for the last decade. And so now they're getting hit the hardest and it's going to directly affect our community. And we've been talking about it, but now it's actually happening. And it just seems like the pace is picking up. It's faster and faster. You got to wonder where we're going to be in a couple of months. Uh, A couple of months, right? We're going to see more layoffs. I, I agree with you on the multi-year thing. I think this actually doesn't hit the, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, the peak of pain or the trough of misery, right? The the maximalist uh, destruction, probably for another whole year. You you convinced me of something last week, and I was thinking about it after the show. I don't think that unless you get a, sorry, Europeans, this is super America, uh, United States, our Canadian friends don't like it when we say America. Uh, this is super U.S. focused, but unless you have a Republican sweep in Congress, there is no way Biden is going to not turn on the money printer. He'll he'll tolerate it for maybe a year, but not. It, this isn't going to be five years because they'll never win another election. <laughs> it's just unfortunately the whole the whole economy and the populace as a whole is now addicted to printing money. And everything runs on printed money now. Everything runs on, you know, you take a look at the housing market, which is going down uh, somewhat, but the prices are still unattainable for your average, uh, you know, your average 20-something coming out of college, getting married, whatever, where if you go back to the halcyon days after World War II, and let's even say like the 60s, 70s, that was much more doable. And not only that, that was the normal, very attainable path. So... Same thing for wages. This is not one that you'll see in the Wall Street Journal. But I think it's interesting that we effectively lease everything now in terms of all these services instead of actually owning anything. It's something that's been on my mind. Like I pay 10 bucks a month to listen to the same maybe 30 albums when I could have just bought. And I, in fact, do have many of them either in iTunes purchased or CD or whatever. The universe that happens if they just let this burn is a total realignment of the economy. And probably that's actually 
good if you're a little guy if you can survive it because i don't i i think tech businesses particularly software businesses are gonna sober up a little bit and go back to hey we actually have to be a business where we sell or license a product and actually make money where i can tell you one of my big pain points has been and i've talked to other people in similar positions VC-backed companies who are just drunk on the free money find out you're a competitor and they're like, oh, they're charging, you know, $8,000, $5,000 for a license or whatever. Uh, we'll do it for $500, right? They just literally kneecap you and effectively bleed out your capital, right? Because you're bootstrapped. So that might be my hobby horse, but I, I think it's bad that all these people are losing their jobs. Obviously, I feel for them on a human level. Yeah. These businesses, and I'm I'm thinking less of the big big guys and more of like the the VC companies that are trying to kind of edge their way in. They need to be real businesses, right? Even it's funny you mentioned all these big dudes. Apple, in a way, was on this list the only traditional business that, when it started, had to actually make money. Go down that list: Twitter, Facebook. My thinking though is, if it hits these big guys. It's going to be even harder on the small ones. Well, what's going to be harder is I think consulting could become harder because you're going to have a bunch of like ex Facebook engineers who are like, screw it, I'm going to go 1099 it out. And, you know, that's very sexy for the, uh, you know, the marketing agency hiring an iOS dev for a contract or something. Sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's bad overall. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying there's a slight silver lining, but this is a bloodbath and it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have. And just to touch on the human moment just a little bit, because we often talk about it from a business owner, CEO kind of market perspective, but regular everyday people are paying the price for policies that led us here. And last week I watched Chair Powell's update on, you know, another, another rate increase. And he signaled he's going, he's going to go for a while. Pedal to the metal, baby. Yeah. And here's the real mind blower. Is So there are 12 members of the Fed's Open Market Committee that vote for these rate increases. And one of them is Esther George. And she is the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. She's on this 12-member board that votes for the rate increases. And she did something really unusual. She had an interview with NPR. In this interview, she says they're basically going to keep going until American savings account are drained. Quote, we see today that there is a bit of savings buffer still sitting for households. That may allow them to continue to spend in a way that keeps demand strong, she said. That suggests we may have to keep at this for a while. Because regular Americans have too much money, they're going to have to keep at this for a while because they can afford the inflation for a little while. And then, you know, you, you look at what, uh, what Powell says is he says employment's too high. There's the, the employment market's still too hot, is his term. They need to cool down the employment market. There's still too many jobs available. There's, there's not enough people unemployed. So you've got a clear, like, they want to raise employment and they want to make Americans spend their savings buffer so that way they can lower demand, which will lower pressure on the supply chain, which will then fix inflation. So they're talking about, like, fourth-order effects they're going for here. And the experiment is being done on the middle-class average workers, while the people that are rich will be able to just buy up assets that become super cheap as a result of this. Distressed assets. Yeah, and they'll just totally blow up in value when the market returns, and they'll make a ton of money. And meanwhile, the American people, the average people, will be left with less sales and a higher standing unemployment, which is going to bring the quality of life down for everyone. And that's their stated policy. Yeah. I mean, we should get off the doom and gloom, but it, it, I, I think uh, I also saw her on NPR. I, I think it's actually slightly worse than you describe it. I think uh, there's a thing you kind of missed. It's it's not just savings. It's at spending power, which is a euphemism for credit. So what is likely to happen, and we've seen this before, right? 2008. Remember that? It's a good time. Uh, most households are not going to immediately cut their standard of living. They're going to, yes, burn through savings. But they're also going to leverage every bit of credit they have. And at the end of this, you're going to have a lot of bankruptcies. And what will happen is the people lucky enough to own modest homes, you're, this is going to be a party for BlackRock Capital, right? You're going to have a lot of foreclosures because people use home equity credit if they have any. A lot of just bankruptcies caused by 
straight up, you know, credit card debt. And yeah, you're going to see payday lending is going to go up, which you should never, ever do that, by the way. In, in, in a weird way, this is going to be, since we're using the uh, addiction analogy, right? This is going to be okay. You know, the Fed's cutting off your your legal opioid supply. Now you're doing street heroin, right? That's, I'm, it, it's, the history proves it out. And I am 100% sure it'll be the same this time. People aren't just going to say, I'm lowering my family's day-to-day standard of living significantly. They're going to whip out that capital until they're forced. Well, when they max everything out, right? It's but it's not just savings, right? It's not capital. It's also debt. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So yeah. So I think people that can focus on doing more with less, people that can focus on building a minimum viable product value, are probably going to have the most success. And there's going to be a correction in other places. That's not true. The super rich are still going to have the most success. Well, that's true. If you bought Apple in 1995, you're in great shape. (laughs) (laughs) No matter what, right? Linode.com slash coder. That's where you go to get $100, and it's a great way to support the show. You get $100 on a new account for 60 days. Linode.com slash coder. Linode is quite simply the best place to build your next application, host your infrastructure, or run a personal site or a gaming server. Linode has a really easy-to-use dashboard, and they have one-click deployments for things like Joplin, Git-T, Focalboard, which is a, sort of like a Trello system that you can just self-host up on Linode, and when you have our $100 credit, why not? It's like if Trello and Asana had a tacit affair and had a baby, that would be Focalboard, and you can deploy it with one click up over on the Linode dashboard. So many great things in here. I mentioned gaming server too. One click deployment of the Minecraft Java edition. Actually, several game servers. Several, including, uh, you know, adult games. I'm talking about development stuff like Node.js, NextCloud. That's my form of gaming, at least. So they have the one click deployments and they have a dozen data centers around the world and they're adding another dozen throughout 2023. So they just keep moving from strength to strength. They started almost 19 years ago and they just had to survive on a great product. And now here we are, standing on the shoulders of generations of development. It's really quite nice. I had an opportunity recently to deploy one of their GPU systems, 96 gigs of RAM. It had an RTX 6000 GPU three times over. Unbelievable. And it has a 40 gigabit connection to the network. Their systems are screaming fast regardless of which build you go with because they are their own ISP, so they all have 40 gigabit connections. They have NVMe PCIe storage. They have AMD Epic processors if you want a rig that has really fast processors. They have high memory systems. This is one thing I've never really needed. I do have a system that does have 96 gigs of RAM, our matrix server. But uh, they have systems where you can get like, you know, 300 gigs of RAM. And because Linode has the best support ever, if you've got a question, you get stuck, or you want to talk about a custom plan, they'll work with you on that as well. 365, they pick up the phone, they answer your questions. Because again, as a business, they had to survive on the merits of their product, and support is part of that product. And it just reflects throughout the entire Linode product. They have so many great things over there, like object storage, Kubernetes support, databases as a service, and a lot more. So go try it out, support the show, and get $100 on a new account. You go to linode.com slash coder. One more time to support the show. It's linode.com slash coder. So I get the sense you've been deep diving into Swift. But before we get there, I want to chat about your recent go about with losing a device and how I think you almost lost access to everything. (laughs) Yeah. At least based on the chat we had. (laughs) One way Apple gets device sales is people who are forced to. My uh, my iPhone 12 Pro, whatever it was, had an unfortunate trick-or-treating accident. So I got it kind of working, but of course it was shattered. It it stopped working completely. Oh, man. In the time it was working, I thought it was going to be okay, and I had failed to take off my Google Authenticator from it. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Been there. Been there. So... Okay, I have no phone now, which I'm super not viable for running a business. So I marched my little butt over to my local Verizon reseller because uh, for some reason you can do Verizon's back to doing the two-year thing, and I've had Verizon for like 10 years, so whatever. So I go, you know, I get me a handy new iPhone 14 Pro Max, which 
I can tell you, if I didn't smash my 12 Pro, I would not have gotten because it's just not that different. It's a little bigger. It's more purple, <laughs> which I like, but it's it's not worth you know what it costs in terms of upgrades. No wonder the iPhone 14 isn't selling. Yeah, they say the camera's better. I can't see it. That might just be yeah, whatever. You know, I I really could not tell much of a difference between the 12, 13, or the 14. As you know, I'm on the upgrade plan. I got my 14. It's fine. You know, so was the 13, except. The device-to-device transfer did not transfer everything like I had been told it would. And they've added a new screen after you're done doing device-to-device transfer. On the original device, your old device, they now come up with a screen that says, would you like to erase this device? And Because I've been led to believe everything was copied over. Oh, no. In a moment of lapse of judgment, I said, yeah, go ahead and erase it. Oh, no. Then the password, the password prompt for my iCloud account came up. And it says, you got to enter your password before we can erase this device. And I thought, okay, yeah. I don't feel like doing that because I got to go look it up in Bitwarden. So I'll let me log into my new phone. So I log into the new phone and I realize it's like doing that download from the app store and restoring stuff. And I launch a few of my apps and they have none of my state, including my two-factor app. So I pick up the old phone and I go hit cancel. I'm raising my finger to tap the cancel button. And before I can hit cancel... The password screen clears. Oh, God. And it begins the wipe process. Oh, God. And it wipes my phone. Oh, so you feel my pain. Yeah. So tell me what happened. All right. So I'm super like, so I get the phone. It, I don't know what goes on at the Verizon store, but it always takes an hour and a half to get out of there. But it sure enough took an hour and a half. I, 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 I think it's the eSIM. They just had a hard time activating the phone. I, I think they just have like a, a, a a countdown timer on their point of sales device and they just come up with a reason to keep you there for an hour and a half maybe it's like maybe they get paid by the hour you're there or something uh, it was weird but so whatever i get it then i realized about the google authenticator so i'm like crap so i'm desperately trying to get my other phone to unlock while i'm sitting there waiting for this dude won't do it won't turn on nothing dead at doa gone luckily i had diligently saved my override codes now, I can't say this is the first time this has happened, something like this, especially because I've been using 2FA for a very long time. On one service that I will not name, I only have two override codes left. So it got me thinking, after I had spent roughly an entire afternoon unlocking and re-2FAing everything, what happens if you just run out of override codes? Do you know what happens? I would imagine then it's going to depend on what their support policies are. It's going to be per platform. With the exception of Facebook. The, the only one who will override 2FA for you is Facebook, and they require you to send them your driver's license. Yeah, you know, I could see that. They're probably dealing with boomers all the time that are losing their account. No offense. No, I, I listen, no get off my lawn. So, by the way, we are boomers. Look at how we bitch about the economy, right? We're, we're, yeah, we're, I know. We're, we're down with it. I am literally considered a millennial. Yeah, so am I. You're on the I'm edge. I'm on the edge. I'm on the line. So it turns out that the answer to my question is, you're hosed. There is no, for almost every service, there is no way around that. Yeah. Get a new account. Get a new account. In the case of Matrix, message Chris and have him just reset it for you. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thanks, Wes, really. Thanks, Wes. I asked Wes. You asked me. I asked Wes. (laughs) So I, I have a couple ideas here. One what I'm doing now is I got rid of Google Auth completely and I'm just using my phone number. Oh, okay. Which in itself is problematic. Right. It's it's not as good. It's slow. If there's a problem with their, you know, their Twilio integration, which is probably what most of them are using. And there's, a, there's you know, a good amount of documented public hacks where somebody got through because they're using SMS two-factor. Well, right. And it's just SMS, not iMessage. Yeah. I propose... That as Apple wants to conquer more of the known universe, they should make an iMessage specific uh, 2FA system, like a Google Auth that runs through iMessage, that if you have access, because think about it, Apple has your biometrics, right? They have your, in my case, they have two fingerprints, a couple face scan. Well, I think they scan your face like every five, 10 minutes, but a bunch of face scans. I have multiple passwords. They have my phone. If you're also wearing the watch, they have that the, the watch is on you and they know how close it is to the phone, which is just another data point. So why couldn't that be the override? Right. Why could, that, it seems like a system. And I know I know some of our more InfoSec listeners are going to be, well, you, every override is a 
attack vector. That's true, but I I I, I fear, and I and I've always pushed two FA. I just fear that even me, who knows what he's doing other than destroying his iPhone, people are going to have this experience like I did, but be a little less savvy and not know how to get around it with the or or frankly not save their override codes which i think is probably super likely super common right and they're just gonna stop using 2fa altogether which is a bad idea to be clear so i don't know i mean it was a nightmare it wasted like most of a day discord was surprisingly hard to recover mm-hmm. yes and i only use discord for patreon things that i follow i don't particularly care for discord if i didn't know better right I probably wouldn't have re-enabled two-factor auth on anything because it was such a pain in the ass to to get stuff back. And I think about things like, for, I'll give you, my Discord's the perfect example. I support a bunch of uh, things that I follow, uh, Unfilter, even though Chris won't give me any new episodes because he's, you know, he doesn't love me anymore. I can't remember. Shannon Morris's channel, a bunch of Magic the Gathering stuff that you people never want to hear about because you don't love Magic the Gathering like I do. <laughs> of course. But I have tons of content that I can only get in that Discord account, right, that I like to watch. Right, right. Yep. So what would I have to do? I thought about it. So what if it fails? Okay, well, I have to somehow get a hold of Shannon Morris, who probably has some pretty aggressive filters, I would assume. So actually getting in touch would be challenging. I have to get all these random YouTubers uh, who play Magic, again, who I have a feeling have some pretty aggressive, uh, you know, filters up to individually respond to me. Believe me that I I am one of the people paying their Patreon, and then somehow let me just give them another Discord handle that they can give the access to. This an an entire manual process that I would need about six people to do. Many of them I'm pretty sure never read their DMs, nor should they. So, um. That would suck. I imagine this is what life also feels like, say, your Google account gets turned off. It's a very similar thing. Yeah, there's a gentleman we could ask about that from a month ago, right? Yeah. And I, I also use my Google account to authenticate to several services as well outside of that. Well, I do too. For all, all my work stuff, because I use uh, G Suite, it's all Google. Like, I can't use my... If I lost my Google account, I could not use GitHub anymore. Because I have the SSO thing. So, you know, what What saved my bacon in this situation, and I'm not necessarily saying you should do it this way, but what saved my bacon was I use Authy, which syncs your two factors across your different devices that you have Authy on. And I happen to have it installed on an M1 Mac mini desktop. The M1 saves the day. So I could do my two factor when I was sitting at that machine from the desktop. And so I was able to pull it up on that device and then resync my my new phone. But it took me two days before I remembered that because I don't use that Mac mini very often. So I was like for two days, genuinely depressed that I had effed that up so badly and that I, I knew what a, cause everything has two factor. And I mean, hundreds of different services and sites I have just for JB alone, not to mention all my personal stuff. Like I was mourning the loss of my two factor codes. And then I remembered it was on that machine. So having that sync, I don't think it makes it as secure. And it makes Authy, uh, you know... It's, it uh, seems like Authy is the obvious attack vector then, yeah. Right. Is it syncing the actual generated codes or is it syncing the override? Yes. The gen- okay, well, that's actually pretty good. You know, don't do like I do. But that that was that worked really well. Bitwarden can also be a tool in this. Bitwarden.com slash Linux if you want to support our shows. It, this is an awful experience. And the other thing that's really challenging here is if you're trying to go from iPhone to Android, some of the stuff doesn't move over either. Yeah, if so like if you're with an all-Apple solution, you'd be tied to Apple. And they'd have a lock on that. So I just, but you wouldn't want Google to do it either. I wouldn't want any of these major companies to do it. Well, well the problem is, is that if, if, you know, security now, right? TNO, trust no one. But that includes yourself. <laughs> so if you're doing a true trust no one security setup, it is totally possible to screw yourself. These, I feel like, are rough areas technology needs to work out. And as we have more and more digital assets that we place value on, this just becomes a bigger and bigger problem. Like your photos, you know, your email, cryptocurrency, uh, pic- pictures of like JPEG monkeys, I don't know, like whatever people think is worth something. Like you have this problem where if you want to secure it and protect it, you also make it possible to lose it if you lose access to it. Like it's a it's a genuine problem that humanity really hasn't fully sorted out. We don't have photo albums like we used to just 
you know, we don't have that anymore. It's all on the computer. It's all digital now. Yeah, it's all digital now. Figure it out. For some reason, I thought you ended up on an Android device during all this. I briefly was using a Pixel test device that I have. What era of Pixel? Pixel 3, 4, no, Pixel 4a. Okay, okay. Yeah, I have a 3, and that's getting pretty long in the tooth. It was pretty slow. Like, I tried a, I bought a couple, like, games to try on it, just see how it ran. It was pretty, uh, if I was to stick with Android, I'd, I'd have to get a new one. But you just got out of there. You just were like, no way. Well, so this is unrelated. But turns out uh, all my contacts are on iCloud. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I had to ask my wife for her phone number. Yep. Yep. I would have to as well. Yeah. I'm not, I, I was just thinking the other day I should memorize that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I did a little bender on Android about a month ago. I went with Graphene OS, and I, my whole thing was not to use Google services. So, I had the same problem with contacts. I'm like, what the hell do I do for my contacts and my calendar? And I'm not saying this is what everybody could do, but... I had the option and I did this is I, I was able to put a little uh, a little wedge in there, basically, that lets me send all that to Nextcloud. So I became my own contacts and calendar sync point, And then I had that available in Nextcloud as well. That was really nice. I had to roll that whole solution myself, including unlock the phone, reflash it with ADB, set up, you know, find this app. Thanks to Jeff, who gave me an idea where to find it, get this app so I could actually sync to Nextcloud, get all that configured. I already had Nextcloud set, right? Like it was just this. Massive amount of work if you were starting from square one. Um, I was starting from like square three. But it was possible on a modern-ish Android device to have a clean Android install with no attachment to Google and still have like cloud syncing stuff if you want to build it. Yeah, but do you want to build it? I guess some people do. It depends on how bad it gets, I suppose. Yeah. All right. We've been teasing it. You got you got into like the Swift again. Something. You smell a little Swifty. Maybe that's the Swift UI that's extra ripe. I'm not sure. But I think you've been doing a deep dive. Yeah, I, uh, I've i been playing around with Swift again for a... Oh, it doesn't matter. He's six. He doesn't listen to the show. So I'm building my kid for Christmas a Pokemon, a digital Pokemon trading card binder in Swift. Uh, yeah. I might throw it on the App Store because people always ask, do you have anything on the App Store? But I, but I figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, right? So it's using the latest, the greatest version of Swift, which I think is 5.7 because I didn't put that in my notes. Pure Swift UI. None of my safe space of, you know, interface builder or her good old UI view or, or any storyboards, anything like that. I'm doing, I'm using the relatively new async await features in Swift. And, and this is what I think is the, the interesting part. I'm actually doing deserialization the Swift way not the Objective-C way, which is just doing it by hand. Where to begin? Xcode. Always has the best error messages. <laughs> this is something other IDEs need to think about. Because at one point I opened Xcode, it's like, I can't open this project, it's from the future. Closed it, opened it again, it opened it fine. Incredible. Good stuff. Like Doctor Who, I crossed my own timeline. Amazing. Yeah, nicely done. But I will say... It is far more stable than it used to be. All right. That's good. Still, SwiftUI, I don't know how much RAM you need, but it wants all of it. All the RAM in terms of the preview view. But it's still pretty nice, just kind of laggy, kind of slow, whatever. My first takes working in it were, so Apple just sat back, watched like the whole Angular React thing happen, and was like, we're going to do this, but we're going to make it better because we're Apple. And we only care about one platform. Cool. This one class, async image, which you can put on any Swift UI major components like a V stack or an H stack. Those are a vertical stack and horizontal stack, respectively. I had to write a whole library to do this in old iOS. And the this is you have a view. You have a URL to an image. You want that image to load asynchronously and show a progress bar and not block the UI. It is one line of code in Swift UI, and the performance is really good. That sounds nice. It is super nice. I mean, I, I'm super jelly of the new iOS developers because it's this, this is this is easy mode. <laughs> async in Swift. It's like they took async in Python, but married it to the bitchiness of Rust. 
Okay. You got a lot of try catching going on. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it demands. So this is something I guess I had forgotten about Swift. Unless you slap those exclamation points everywhere, which is the rough equivalent to slapping unsafe everywhere in Rust. It makes you catch everything. But you know, and by the way, this is coming to C Sharp as the default now in the .NET. I think it just came in 6 and .NET 7 comes out soon too. So enjoy. You could have question marks everywhere and exclamation points. <laughs> beautiful. I actually think it is beautiful because I'm catching stuff at compile time that basically once I get the damn view to, to you know be buildable, it pretty much works. Yeah, fair enough. Might as well catch it then. Yeah, so far device scaling SwiftUI I think does a fair job of being device agnostic with the big caveat of I have not yet decided to try it out in landscape. Things that I don't like. I get it. And I have this problem with Rust too. I get that you want to be absolutely correct. But you know, sometimes it's weird. Like the Xcode makes you feel, just like Rust does, it makes you feel dirty when you're like overriding its warnings or it's, you know, checking stuff. A lot of it's just feels unnecessary. I know I, I've read the forums, I've read the subreddit, I may have posted on Reddit and gotten yelled at by the Swift people that, you know, things should be safe, you need to know the types, blah, 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 blah. Fair enough. I've been doing too much Python. It is very clear to me, and I'm not sure that this maybe this maybe this isn't bad, but that Apple is gonna shove Swift UI down your throat. So if you're clinging to uh, you know, storyboards or it's probably only storyboards at this point, right? And unless you're doing, I guess you could do individual nibs, but I think you need to change. I wrote a couple about a year and a half ago, a blog post on bringing over uh, zibs, which they're called nibs, by the way, from UI, uh, UI kit into Swift UI. I almost think that's basically misguided now. And it, it, it's in this weird transitional state of so far, if you stick to just the, it's not, it's unfair to credit slash blame him, but like the Marco Arment style of app development where you're basically just using Apple's components with very little styling, then SwiftUI is super fast, super efficient. The minute you want to go a little custom, things get rougher and it's tempting to drop to UI view because you can wrap it in a SwiftUI component. I, having tried it both ways, I almost think it's, one, a matter of time before Apple just, you know, makes it more robust, right? You get more robust controls out of the box. You would hope so. Well, from when I tried it last time to where it is now, they have, right? They totally have. You know, WWDC is in June. Yeah, if they're trending in the right direction, that's a good sign. Yeah, I, I, I my point being, I think it's almost misguided to not just embrace the the glory that is swift ui and and i know i like t swift this is really good i mean working on this pokemon project i'm like super missing ios dev and i i do some for clients the we have an app from 2010 that is written in no memory manage objective c but that's more archaeology at this point it's not like new dev this is like fun to work in in particular, you can monitor your app's health in Tailscale. <laughs> Tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you go to try it for free for up to 20 devices and experience the best mesh VPN you've ever, ever tried to set up. You get it going in like mm, probably two minutes on a device, if if not that. I, I'm not even kidding you. It takes me 30 seconds to get a system on my Tailscale VPN mesh network. And it's all protected by WireGuard's noise protocol. The encryption is solid. And the other thing is the performance is incredible. And the system is smart enough to know if you're trying to communicate with your Tailscale network or if you're trying to communicate with the general internet or something on your LAN. It's also smart enough to figure out that if you're talking to another Tailscale device on your LAN, it'll just stay on the LAN. It doesn't rat out to the internet and come back in. We had huge storms here in the Pacific Northwest this last weekend. 70 mile per hour winds. Power got knocked out at the studio. And one of the things that I love is in the Tailscale dashboard, I can see the last time a node was online. So I knew exactly when the power went out at the studio. So I knew how long things were down. I set up a ping. I just started pinging the Tailscale IP of one of the devices here. And sure enough, it came back online when the power came up and I knew to come down and fix everything because it was a bad one. 
I just love that flexibility Tailscale gives me to just, you know, it, I can use it in so many different ways. But the thing that really became handy was, this is my bad, but more systems were using DHCP than probably should have. So a bunch of my boxes got new IP addresses. And like my node for Bitcoin where I, I checked the boost, but also some studio systems. But their Tailscale IP stayed the same. Same Tailscale IP. So I was like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. I can just connect to the Tailscale IP and I'm fine. <laughs> it just was like, wow, this is even on my land. This is just so freaking great. And Tailscale Send is like airdrop for all my devices, including my Linux boxes and my mobile devices. And Tailscale SSH is absolute fire. You can log into your systems using Tailscale through SSH. It's absolute fire. You're going to love it. There's so many great things. And they've recently made DNS even better than ever on the Tailscale network. So go try it for yourself for free for up to 20 machines and support the show by going to tailscale.com slash coder. I think this is going to blow you away. You're going to wonder why you hadn't tried it sooner. Tailscale.com slash coder. Now, that's not all. I know you had uh, a continuing journey and have discovered strong opinions, some pushback, and perhaps even a few demons. Yeah, so uh, this this is actually really cool. So I said I did the JSON deserialization for my Pokemon card structs the way that Swift wants you to, not the old Objective C way of like just passing in an NS dictionary and you know manually parsing the keys, right? Um, and yes, kids, that is how we used to do it in Objective C. Yes, I know it's bad. You guys have no freaking idea how easy you have it. So I don't want to hear about it. Go to your room. Okay, is he in his room? Good. We just make up some like 13-year-old developer and just yell at him. That's what we do on the show now. It's gonna be, we're going to call him Tim, and we're just going to yell at him all day long. Dang it, Tim. You are disappointing us. Tim, what, what do you mean Java, Java has functions? That doesn't have functions. Everything's an object. Java 1, that's all you get. How do you not know who Duke is? Go read Wikipedia. Go to your room. Yeah, but then, then the problem is me and Chris go to the bar and we get Ubered home because we're crying about somebody named Scott McNeely yeah. and son. And the <laughs> yeah. 20-year-old bartender has no idea what's wrong with these two old dudes, but she wants them away. And poor little Tim, he's just looking at his Coda Radio dads and he's just wondering, why do they always cry when sun comes up? I don't understand. What's wrong about the sun? Every, every day at sunset, we just sit on the, on the veranda, drinks in hand, tears streaming, openly weeping. I mean, it's really terrible. But things that make us happy, the codable protocol in Swift, first of all, if you're going to name protocols, I love this name. Yeah. In fact, Swift, you guys get a robe. This is robe worthy. Yeah, this is better than coderly. Yeah. Ooh, you know, ooh, painful. We got to do that. This week. It's codable. So, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> so I linked the documentation. It's so baller that it's really a type alias for two protocols, not one. Decodable which does exactly what it sounds like, decodes a JSON object into your class, an instance of your class, or I'm sorry, struct. Encodable, which does the opposite, encodes your, you know, your data type into JSON. Now, it has some opinions on how the JSON should look, but, and this is what saved my butt, it is possible to do custom decoding and still keep all the other benefits. So if you have one, let's say, easy example, you have like one type that's like a weird type in JSON. It's some kind of weird like string that they encoded instead of using a real data type. You can just have like a custom function that decodes that as long as it decodes back to one of the basic Swift types. Mm, man, that's handy. Right. But if it is a ba if it's an easy map, so like a JSON array to a Swift array, it just does it. You, you just tell it it's an array and it does it. So you don't have to follow its specific output that it requires. You can, there's room for fudging it. it. It expects camel casing, but if you don't have camel casing, you can tell it that it's, it actually has built-in enums for like other crazy casing, like snake casing. Well, good. I'm glad you're not compromising on this. Well, no, I, I like my snake casing. <laughs> okay, good. I'm good. I'm glad it accommodates you. What's, what's wrong with snake casing? <laughs> nothing, nothing. Mm, sensing a disturbance. I just, what I find quite humorous is you going out of your way to just not have to change. <laughs> That's what I like. Just, like, I would just be like, okay, machine. All right, I'll do it your way. You're like, no, let's see if there's a... It's not my API, though. 
I don't control the JSON. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, fair. Right. You're not. Yeah, you're not necessarily controlling the input. Yeah, and the output. I suppose that's fair. To to be fair, the API I'm using is camel cased, and I did have it hit one of mine that's snake cased. And you know what? Snake casing is the right casing. <laughs> Although my Swift code, I am I am being a proper Swift developer and doing it camel case. So there you go. I hear it tastes like chicken. It, it, it tastes like uh, it does taste like chicken. It's a bird. I thought for I I think chicken. I think like raptor's great grandson now. And I, I'm very scared. I had hot wings. I'm like, when the dinosaurs come back, they're going to be so pissed at me. You could just look at them and kind of see it, right? You can just see it. It's surprisingly fast. It can even handle cases where you can do the question mark thing and say it's an optional. And if it's not there, it just accepts it. You can nest different codable or decodable types within a kind of a overarching type. So, for instance, I have a card result type, which in it has a card, and in that has the card has a set, so it can decode the set, and within that you have like all kinds of crap, right? Like Pokemon attacks, blah blah blah. Now I know the .NET developers are like, we have this too. You do. Swift does it a lot better because I think what they did is just rob your ass. I'm feeling a lot of. The Swift stuff is just ripping off good ideas from other places. It's like we have the strictness of Rust, but you can throw an exclamation point in there if you don't want to listen. And here's all the .NET MVVM kind of stuff. But we're going to make it a lot simpler and a little, you know, more... I wouldn't say forgiving. I wouldn't say... But more... Almost like you can Voltron up your own... You can more easily than I found in .NET Voltron up your own custom whatever data structure you need, right? It seems like a good strategy on their part. That actually does. Why not look? Why not see what others are doing? Like .NET in this case. For sure, yeah. Good strategy. Yeah, I, I would say the closest analogy is probably uh, like uh, Kapavok, who I think is a Klingon. TypeScript does something similar, which I think is ironic. Also Microsoft, who ripped off C Sharp, their own thing. So I feel like C Sharp being early with the stuff kind of, you know, it's got some baggage. So I'm going to go on a limb here. Swift is enjoyable. Oof. Just thinking if I had a time machine right now. Don't worry. Alex will find it. I have perfect faith in him. I think he's, he's kind of been, he's kind of moved past it by now. He's like at 200 now. Yeah, he's in the two. I can't right? believe he's, I can't believe he went Although it's 2016. I, no, it, it was 190 something. Okay. Okay. That was such a wild episode for me on my end. <laughs> Where you rage quit in the middle of the show. Because, so short version is we're, we're doing the Apple event live. They announced Swift, and then we go to record the show to get the reaction, and Mike's reaction is... Just rage. Screw this. Unbridled rage. Yeah. <laughs> and then he leaves the show, and I'm like, all right, well, thanks for coming, everybody. It's like a 25-minute show. Yeah, one of our most listened-to shows. I just, I'm pretty sure I keep... People keep sending me stuff about it. I feel like Swift has made a big journey since that episode. Oh, it's a compl- I would argue it's a completely different language, too. Like, even from where Swift 1.0 started to swift 5.7 i'd say it's more like rust than anything else i think it's been trending this way because it seems like each time we check in you're like okay this is getting better i like this this is getting a little you know i I like where they're going here and so it sounds like this is it's really starting to come together for you codable protocol i like it i mean i kind of wish apple wasn't so vampiric with the app store but uh you know i since i'm doing this pokemon uh card thing anyway for the kid i may as well throw it on there and charge 99 cents which guarantees i will get one download or you can make it free and do a nine dollar in-app purchase for something really basic you know and then apple will spotlight it because it's free ask not what your podcast can boost for you but what you can boost for your podcast we got a ton of great support for last week's episode thank you everybody zerno boosted in with 29900 sats keep the change you filthy animal it was a it was spread across a couple of boosts cuz he was bailing out of breeze i've also sort of stopped using breeze myself mm. fountain has done recent updates and they've added carplay support and they just did an update yesterday to fix a couple of stability issues I got to say, I'm still, I'm really liking Fountain Podverse. But Zero says, okay, Mike, every time you say GitHub Copilot produces terrible code, I wonder, I've heard on other podcasts that it seems to produce code based on the user's previous work. Does this mean your repository is filled with bad code? That's not quite how it works, right? It doesn't just go on your code alone. 
Uh, no, it doesn't. And I, and I would even challenge firms. I don't say it only produces terrible code. I would say that when it produces bad code, it's really funny. But it, 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 it doesn't produce bad code, right? Like if you're, for example, if you're just doing a, a jQuery form or a, you know, a Python WTF form, it will do that and it will be fine, right? It'll do it in context and it, it'll scan, I think it scans a collection per language. I think it's actually per platform too. It can tell, like if you're doing Flask or Fast API, uh, for example, or Rails, it will produce code for, I don't know, most common cases. I, I don't think it's all terrible, but how valuable is per, you know someone generating a form for me that I've written 400 times? GitHub says on their site, languages with less representation in public repositories may produce fewer or less robust suggestions. But they say... Uh, for example, JavaScript is well represented in public repositories and is one of GitHub's Copilot's best supported languages because there's so many examples of it. So you can kind of imagine how that would probably work. The more there is of something, the more source it has. Also on the topic of Copilot, a lawsuit has been filed. Oh, Lord. It's uh, basically along the lines of what we've talked about, a class action lawsuit in a U.S. federal court in San Francisco. You know the details. I and mean, we'll follow it. We'll follow it quietly and we'll update everybody if there's anything worth really discussing there. But I think it's interesting that that process has now kicked off. It's uh, probably wasn't, uh, and we probably should have, we probably could have had a bet on, on when it would happen, not if. Yeah, I have a little fascinating thought. I mean, I, I still hold what I said a couple weeks ago. It would be a shame if legal chicanery got rid of Copilot. Maybe not get, you know, the idea of a Copilot-like tool, right? It's funny because from the, from the first from Zerno's message, I would actually prefer to be able to tell Copilot only to look at my repositories because then I could actually use it on client work. I think you can with like the private version for Visual Studio, but I'm not sure. So, isn't there some way to do that privately? There is some way. Maybe there is. I just turn it off when I'm not working on my own thing. So I, I would, you know, if I was going to be selfish, if I knew I could go use Copilot and it would be a pretty good aid, and if there was a way I could somehow trust its results... Maybe I, maybe I could just do that through peer review. Uh, I'd probably be more inclined to to write my own stuff and do my own like little side projects if I knew it was actually going to be a good guide. If you're writing like a very mainstream, you know, Node with an Angular front end or Node with a, a React front end, there's just a ton of examples that Codepilot can pull from. It's when you get more domain specific, you're going to... Yeah, which I probably would. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Nomadic Coder 5 boosted with 5,555 sats. I recently started using my iPod Touch just to listen to podcasts and music, but with Apple's latest money grab, I'll have to switch to Fountain on my Calyx OS phone in case Apple starts taxing boosts. With every announcement Apple does, something that drives me further and further away, it seems like it drives me further and further away from them. I agree. Yeah, they are going after, like, uh, in-app, advertising although with like fountain you don't buy the sats so there's no transaction happening thankfully and that's why they know i've talked to um the folks behind both fountain and podverse and they're very much aware of apple's shenanigans it's they're very careful they're not they try not to even play in the gray zone they've they go by the letter of the law no i gotta say like if you're doing an ios app i've learned this from many years of complaining about it on this show don't don't even go in it's like it's like the neutral zone with the romulans don't just stay the hell out. Don't go. Don't go there. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, Sam Squatch comes in with sixteen thousand one hundred and eighty sats. Hey, rich lobster! Oh shit! I'm buying a car. Sweet. I know. Like I said, that we've got some great support this week. They say so. I absolutely think Twitter is likely pretty bloated, but the metric of code is a bit of an odd choice to go by. I agree. People have been tossing around how much code. Bad management. Yeah. Yeah. In my experience, as my career has gone on, and I've gone through to become a principal engineer and now a manager, I write less and less code. I spend more time reviewing other people's code, catching bad decisions, overseeing early design plans, etc. Effectively, I try to be a force multiplier. Does that mean by Elon's metric, I'm a bad engineer? No, I, I mean, I don't know if we have any data to suggest that. I did see an article that said they actually are trying to reach back out to some of the people that have been fired so far and rehire them. <laughs> Jackass. That's embarrassing. <laughs> that is, that's just, yeah. oh, I tell you what, I don't know. It's going to be wild to watch that. Yeah, it, I think his best shot, just to touch on it one last time, is to make his changes and get the hell out of there and hand it off. Yeah, I, I don't 
think you should take Elon super seriously when he talks about the management stuff um, or basically anything else. Because I'm pretty sure he's playing a caricature of himself at this point, right? It's it's like when I go and like, you know, decide I'm going to complain and make fun of the PHP people. I don't actually hate PHP people. I don't even think PHP is that bad of a language. It's it's just an act, right? He's and to his detriment at this point, I would say he's playing a caricature. He's there's no way he is sitting there reading printouts of thousands of lines of code. No, they didn't even do that. Eventually, there's been some bogus reporting, but yeah, it's it's, it's just bull. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, moving on. I think he, I think he is moving quick and ruthlessly because he just spent forty four billion dollars on something that's probably worth a billion dollars. Well, maybe more, but anyways. Okay, noob Steve boosted with forty eight thousand six hundred sats. I hoard that which your kind covets. Now he's listening to episode four eighty three. I think he's responding to something he said in episode 481 about subscriptions in Adobe Cloud, which kicked off a series of discussions. He said, sorry, guys, I didn't really uh, mean to kick off uh, an S-storm, as he puts it. I promise I'll never mention those who shall not be named again. Please accept my humble boost as a formal apology. Also, congrats, Mike. Sorry you're having to deal with green bubbles right now. (laughs) I lasted less than a day. Don't worry. That's amazing. That is amazing. I don't. Who was the not to be named? Uh, I believe it was Adobe and Creative Cloud that kicked off. Oh, the, yeah. Although, noob, you can correct me, but I, that's what I recall. Soham boosted in with a row of ducks, 2,222 sats. This old duck still got it. All right, brace yourself for this one. Capitalism requires the funny green line, profit, to always go up. The catch, the earth and humanity is a finite resource. Infinite growth is simply not possible. Apple really has no choice other than to become a bully. Can you really blame them? This is, I agree to to a sense here. It's like if we are serious about wanting to protect the environment, then we can't have unlimited everything. We have to be real about some of these limited resources. Like, honestly, lithium. There's a new OPEC being organized around lithium now, which is just going to recreate the same problem we have with oil. And uh, the number one producer of lithium is China. And I hate to think what the labor standards are. It really is a quite a conundrum. I don't know because I don't see. I think capitalism is really just human nature. It's trading and creating value for things. I think that's human nature where obviously as it gets at a certain scale and certain amount of control and influence, it starts to get perverted. And now it's become something that seems very sick. But I don't know if you can take trading and selling out of humanity so we just have to i guess have a way to to do it sustainably let us know if you got an idea for that also shout outs for boost cli oh yes you know what you get that's just for you so ham for using boost cli all right trev dev boosted in with some leet sats saying inflating your downloads we're talking about people that have been buying downloads Mm. is a whole industry in third world countries he writes it boosts your placement on the top podcast list in the in the Apple Podcast Index. That artificial inflation of your popularity gets you real audience. That's a good point. That is true. That actually does make the transaction worth it. As an example, when we get big baller boosts into the show, we go to the top of the Fountain FM list. Coda Radio is like in sometimes the top four Woo-hoo. podcasts when people give us big boosts. And... That's a serious signal. If people are spending real sats, that's a real signal of quality. And it's we've been we've been picking up new audience as a result of that. LUP too. LUP's been benefiting from that as well. Uh PegDot boosts in with some enterprise sats. 1701. Make it so. This is our last one. Hello, Star Trek Radio Show. A few yes. weeks ago I asked which series to get started with with Star Trek. We remember. Both of you recommended the next generation. I started yesterday with Encounter at Farpoint, which is episode one and two. And I'm continuing today with episode three, the one where everyone gets drunk and horny. Really enjoying it so far. Thanks for the recommendation. P.S. I tried the Lord of the Rings series yesterday too, but I like Star Trek better. <laughs> That's great. I, I, I thought TNG was a little risky just because that first season, first two seasons, they have some gems, but they also have some rough spots. But if you're enjoying the drunk episode, I think you're going to be all right. Yeah, I was say the drunk episode is one of the worst episodes in that season. So, yeah, there's also that one where the uh, king of a planet like captures Tasha to make her his love slave. 
and then they have to fight his current love slave. Well, well you you have to have the the original series sexism reboot, right? I mean, well, it's funny you say that, man, because that's the the drunk episode. That episode, a lot of the season one and two episodes were old scripts from the sixties. Yep, and they just kind of they kind of put the eighties lipstick on them, right? It's <laughs> exactly eighties hair and lipstick. Yeah, season season three, uh, the next generation kind of gets its own identity. Although, uh, if you want oh. the one true Shrek. And I will stand by this. I'm I'm rewatching uh, Strange New Worlds. I just love it. It's funny you say that. I was I was uh, reading this boost with Wes yesterday, and I, I he and I were talking about how TNG was kind of a risk. And I said I think the other way to go now would be Strange, Strange New, New Worlds. Worlds because it's yep. it's good Trek with modern production values. I think it's a good introduction, possibly. Although. If you can enjoy TNG, it gets so rich because then you can move into DS9 and Voyager and then Enterprise and just work your way up. And that is that is quite literally years of TV watching. I started doing that with my wife before, when we were dating and we're now on season two of Enterprise. And so we started with TNG and it's and we've been married for like six. I don't know. I don't know how long we've been married a couple of years, but we've been dating for a while. It's been years and we're just now in Enterprise. And so it's literally years of great television and you can store it locally and there's no ads and ugh, it's just, if you get into it, it's pretty great. All right. Enough, enough. Uh, big shout out to, I really want to say thank you to those that boosted in. Some just send in some stats without saying anything. Few send in some notes. We don't put them all in the show if you can believe it, but we did get uh, 109,999 sats from WM who went on a little bit of a boosting spree for our shows and Coda Radio was a big beneficiary there. We got 100 sats from JMac217, uh, who says no one in his real life circle is using Twitter in central Illinois. Uh, Twitter is just not a thing in his neck of the woods, he says, in the real world. And we got 3,000 sats from Agania or Ahagania. Thank you guys very much. Or appreciate you very much. You're doing a good job. If you'd like to send a boost into the show, go get a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. There's a whole suite of options there from a whole new podcast app to just using tools. And uh, if you're in the U.S. and you want to grab some cheap sats, the Strike app or the Cash app is fantastic. Outside the U.S., I like Blue Wallet a whole bunch. And, of course, you can invest in the ongoing production, the real nuts and bolts of the show, by becoming a member, coderqa.co. I got an email. I got a nice note from one of our members. I think we both got it from one of our members uh, over the week who uh, says, this, would be, this is what my boost would be. But since I'm a member, I'm just going to send it to you directly. Totally fine. We love hearing from you. And as a thank you, you get an ad-free version of the show and a coderly report, which we're going to get together. We will. Oh, my gosh, you guys. You wouldn't believe how busy the world has been. Oh, yeah. But uh, we'll get it together and send it out to our members as a thank you. CoderQA.co. I don't know, you feeling like you got anywhere you want to send the people this week, Mr. Tom? Uh, you know, I'm, as always, at Timonuku on Twitter. But why don't you all sign up for the uh, Matrix Room? I usually hang out in the Coder Radio General uh, Matrix Chat Room. Yeah, we got two coder chat rooms. There's like a feedback specific room and a general chat. And we link to the general chat at coder.show slash matrix. That's a great call because that's also what we put up on our live stream. And so you can find out when we're live just by being in there. Or you can just review the chat if you're listening to an episode and you're curious to know what the chat room said. It's all there. And of course, yeah, both Mike and I are hanging out in there pretty much every day from time to time. I'm popping in at least a few times a day. So join us over there. We got links to what we talked about today at coder.show slash 491. How about that? And you can actually watch how these shows get made over at jupiter.tube. It's live 9 a.m. Monday, 12 p.m. Eastern. And then the archived version stays up there for playback because why not? It's our own YouTube. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Is that not a great laugh? I'll work on an evil laugh, though. I'll get that together for the next time I talk about it. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. And we'll see you right back here next week.